electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. Tonight on this CNBC special hour, oil rockets higher again as President Biden bans Russian energy. The unprecedented move sending shockwaves through the global markets. Tonight, we are drilling down on the move and the fallout. And we are coming to you live from Houston, Texas, at the most important oil conference in the world right now, Zero Week. Ahead on this hour, you're going to hear from some of the biggest players in the space, including the CEOs of Occidental Petroleum, Pioneer Natural Resources, and Williams Companies, as well as OPEC expert Helene McCroft. And just how high gasoline prices may go across the nation in the coming weeks and maybe the coming months. Welcome, everybody, to this CNBC special, The Oil Shock. I am Brian Sullivan. Jim Cramer is off tonight. Welcome. All right, let's get right now to the big headline of the day. The White House taking bold new steps against Russia, banning all imports of Russian oil and oil-related products. Kayla Tausche is live in our Washington newsroom with the very latest. Kayla. Brian, it's more than just that. Today, the White House pointed to U.S. production capacity as the reason why the U.S. was able to move to ban new investments in Russian oil, gas and coal. A senior administration official says Treasury will allow 45 days for companies to wind down existing contracts. But other allies need more time. The U.K. planning to phase out Russian oil by year end. Europe says it will cut its dependency by two-thirds this year, but it won't be able to ditch Russian energy completely. Today, Ukraine's President Volodymyr Zelensky in a tweet praising the U.S. and President Biden for striking at the heart of what he calls Putin's war machine, and he urged other countries to follow suit. Today, the U.S. Energy Secretary said a formidable effort will be needed to offset Russian supply. We are calling upon all producers across the globe to increase supply. We've got to make up for eight and a half million, million barrels of Russian oil that could potentially come off. That's, that's what they export. And so we need to make up for that. So we want to encourage producers around the, the globe, including in the United States. A senior administration official said further action by G7 allies like Japan is still possible and that countries are considering more coordinated releases of emergency reserves. Brian. So, Kayla, the United States and the U.K. doing it. But to be very clear, Europe, while making some tough talk, is not making tough action, at least as far as Russian oil directly goes. 
That's correct, Brian. And there's still a lot that Europe has to do to get that energy dependency or to move toward that. Today, the Polish prime minister talked up uh, the Baltic pipe project that is going to be bringing natural gas uh, from the North Sea through Denmark to Poland. But the capacity of that is just one-tenth of the combined Nord Stream capacity. So even once some of those pipes come online, uh, they still pale in comparison to what Europe would have gotten from Russia. Brian? Kayla Tausche in Washington. Kayla, thank you very much. Why don't we continue to break down the fallout now with Halima Croft, Global Head of Commodity Strategy at RBC Capital Markets and a CNBC contributor. Halima, welcome. Uh, your reaction to the sanctions on Russian oil, gas, and coal? I mean, Brian, we were anticipating these sanctions. I mean, the big question is, is it going to be the United States and the U.K. going it alone, or are we going to have major importers of Russian commodities taking similar action? I mean, the United States takes less than 4% of their oil imports from Russia. If you expand it to product, you're talking 8%. But Germany takes 34% of their oil from Russia, 32% of their natural gas, 50% of their coal. The question is, will Germany follow the U.S. lead? And right now, there's no indication, despite the tough talk, that Germany, the Netherlands are willing to go down this path. But as we've seen, oil companies, shipping companies, trading houses, they're making their own decisions. They are self-sanctioning. And so this buyer strike is already causing a major reduction in Russian oil exports. I was told by a State Department official here earlier today that the U.S., to your point, anticipated this, that all their intelligence suggested this may happen, and that they were raising U.S. stockpiles of natural gas, of oil, and trying to make sure that when and if this occurred, that we would be prepared. Do you believe that we are? I mean, Amos Huckstein has really been on this issue of trying to get additional supplies of natural gas into Europe. They anticipated a potential cutoff or reduction in gas flows to Europe. We're not seeing that reduction yet on gas. What we're seeing is really a big reduction on oil exports. And that leaves the administration with a rather large hole they may have to fill. People are talking about three to four million barrels of Russian exports, which may be off this market, largely through self-sanctioning. And the question is, where is the additional supply going to come from? With a limited set of producers that can quickly put barrels on the market, the main country, as we know, Brian, is Saudi Arabia. But what we're concerned about on natural gas, we've had Russian officials out in the last 24 hours talking about potentially reducing supplies through that all-important Nord Stream 1 pipeline. So the question is, is Russia poised to weaponize their commodities in response to the U.S. in action? That, that is a huge point because the U.S. consumer, the global consumer, because yes. inflation is global, has already dealt with price increases across the board. We focus on oil because it goes to gasoline. That's about one-fifth, one-fourth of the use of oil and a huge expense for so many American families. But let's be clear, you are the head of commodity strategy. When we look at nickel, wheat, copper, aluminum, any commodity you name is either at or near record highs, much of it reliant on Russian production. What weaponization power does Vladimir Putin have against the global consumer? I mean, Brian, we keep saying Russia is not a gas station. It is a commodity superstore. It is the Walmart of commodities. And the food inflation story is particularly concerning. Ukraine and Russia are more than a quarter of global wheat exports. Look what is happening to wheat prices. The real concern is 
are we going to get an energy shock and also dealing with a very serious food inflation story that could lead to very severe dislocations in key emerging markets? Yeah, and let's also be clear, things like natural gas, they go into so many things fertilizer. that we buy. Fertilizer. So, for example, fertilizer was about $300 a ton yes. about a year ago. It's over $1,000 now, which means farmers around the world and right, right. here in the U.S. have two options. Number one, they're going to use less fertilizer, which means probably a less crop yield, or they're going to have to pass those costs through or try to to the American consumer. In your mind, Alima, has the global inflation story, while bad right now, has it actually even begun in some I ways? Mean, Brian, what we don't know is the trajectory of this crisis, but the leading security experts are saying this is likely to get worse. And so I do think we need to start thinking about an extended conflict and one that is potentially expanded to neighboring countries. So I do think that this is certainly not the end or even the peak of the prices. I think we have to prepare for much higher commodity prices across the board. Vladimir Putin commenting on, really threatening on, right. $300 per barrel oil, something that would break the all-time record by far since back in 2008. That would probably equate to $10 a gallon gasoline in the United States. Does Putin have that power, or do you believe this is a hollow threat? I mean, just think about this. I mean, we've been following Alexander Novak. He'd been the Russian oil minister for years. He's now the deputy prime minister. That was a rather shocking statement coming from him. It does raise the question of what does Russia have in store for the West? Yep. We have not seen the economic retaliation of Russia against the West for the central bank sanctions that has frozen so much of their reserves, disconnecting banks from SWIFT. We have not seen, I think, the yeah. full Russian response, and I think we should be bracing for Very, that. very quickly, OPEC, does, as a group, does not have the capacity, but the Saudis alone may do it. To do that, they would have to break or get a, get a reprieve off the current OPEC deal. Does the Biden administration or should the Biden administration pick up the phone, make the call to Riyadh, and basically ask, can you please put more oil onto the global market? I mean, if you do not want to be reliant solely on your strategic petroleum reserve, and you need barrels by a producer that's sitting on spare capacity, you're going to have to make that phone call to Saudi Arabia yep. and talk about the U.S.-Saudi relationship. Halima Croft, RBC Global Markets, thank you so much. Thank you so Insight, much, Brian. Very, very valuable. All right. We're going to get to a market recap in just a minute here. But before we do that, folks, I want to show you something because the Biden administration talked about a 45-day grace period on the banning of Russian oil. Well, very important because there are actually six ships currently filled to the brim with Russian oil that are either already at anchor and in harbor in New York and New Jersey and four more on the way. There is your map. The green dots represent super tankers filled with Russian oil. The question now becomes, what exactly becomes of those ships? Two again, one in New Jersey, one in New York, four more on the way. Are they going to be allowed to unload that cargo under that 45-day grace period? And we should note that oil, by the way, was bought paid for and loaded well before the invasion of Ukraine. All right. Well, as we mentioned at the top of the hour, the wild market moves having an impact on stocks as well as oil and gas. Let's check out the action in the stock market today. The Dow swinging all in 
800 points from its highs to its lows. Yet a midday rally on the back of the Russian oil impact ban. That fizzled out into the close. For the day, all three major averages finished in the red. The Dow down, actually a relatively respectable 184. But it was the oil names that really saw the action. As you might imagine, look at some of the oil services ETFs, the OIH. It rallied 3%. It's made up of big exploration and services companies like Schlumberger and Halliburton. It is up $100 per share this year. It is not just that. The XLE up 1.5%. And the oil and gas exploration ETF, the XOP, adding about a percent today. By the way, all three of those ETFs are up more than 30% since just the beginning of the year. Wild moves in oil and gas stocks. Well, joining us now to talk about these historic moves in all of energy and how the industry may react is Alan Armstrong. He is the CEO of Williams Companies. They are one of the biggest, if not the biggest, natural gas pipeline operator in the United States. Alan, very valuable to have your insight. Thank you very much for joining us. Glad to be here. Thank you. What is the current state of U.S. gas and oil infrastructure if we heed the call or need the call to add more of one or both or either to the global mix? Do we have the infrastructure to do it? You know, infrastructure really is the key. In fact, we've had six major pipelines that have been stopped, canceled, projects that were certified by the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission that have been stopped. We have 31 projects right now that are in the queue behind the approval for for the FERC's approval. So we have the capabilities, we have decades of low-cost gas supplies, but we have got a big issue on getting our infrastructure permitted to be able to get the gas from these low-cost basins into the markets, including the LNG facilities that we're going to be striving to build very quickly. And you're referencing the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission. I, I want to bring up something, though, that, I, that unfortunately I don't want to call anybody out, but I hear this uh, fairly often, is that the Keystone Pipeline was canceled. The Keystone Pipeline was never canceled. It is up and running. It's been running for a long time. The Keystone XL, which is kind of an add-on slash bypass, if you will, that's the pipeline that we talked about. People say, well, that's the answer. That was designed to bring Canadian crude to the Gulf of Mexico. Does the Keystone XL have any relevancy here at all? You know, certainly the Keystone XL makes a ton of sense to be connected to our Canadian partners who have always been a great supplier of energy to the U.S. and really somewhat symbolic at this point in terms of us being able to say, yes, we're open to bringing in supplies from Canada. But natural gas is really where we've really had the challenge on infrastructure and getting that built because we have the supplies, not Canada. We have the low-cost gas supplies here in the U.S., and it's just a matter of getting a supportive regulatory environment for getting these pipelines. So what from the FERC, the Federal Energy Regulatory Commission, you're saying that these approvals are being held up or are being or sitting on a desk somewhere. Yes. What are you hearing, if anything, from them about why and what are you doing in response to that to try to come together with that agency and get these approved? Yeah. So we started about... uh, Today, it takes about four years to get a pipeline project approved. It takes about six to nine months to build one of these projects, but it takes three to four years now. See, to get four to five times longer to get something approved. To get the paperwork. That is literally done. paperwork. Yes. Is, is slower than Building. laying thousands of miles of metal pipeline. Right. 
And so we've got a great opportunity here in the U.S. to continue to get back to where we were. But it's kind of like the frog in the boiling pot. We've just gotten so used to it being slower and slower and slower. And so today we're really focused on working with the FERC, dealing with some of the complaints they have. They have a lot of opposition that they have to deal with, and we need to work with the FERC. But really uh, important that our regulators understand that their role is to help support getting these projects approved and not providing bureaucracy. Do you support, though, the idea that there have to be other considerations? Environmental considerations are real, and they are serious. Pipelines have been safe, but when something goes wrong, it tends to go wrong in a big way. What's the balance, yeah. Alan? How so, do you balance out the environmental needs and concerns to not poison drinking water to make sure we also right. have that infrastructure? Right. So, you know, gas pipelines in particular, I'm going to speak to gas pipelines. We've been doing those safely for a long, long time. And in fact, I would tell you the safety record at Williams is about as good as it gets. And so we've proven our ability to both contain natural gas, lower emissions around the world and here at home by using natural gas. And so we, and we are not asking for easy regulation. Yep. Let me be very clear about it. We're just asking for clear, certain rules that we can abide by and move on. Today we have things called NEPA, which is basically all the agencies are way out of their swim lanes. Nobody has clear responsibilities. And that is really the bureaucracy that we're facing today. And we really, if we want to take advantage of this great natural yep. resource, we have got to clear up our permitting process. Very quickly, we, we saw the Colonial Pipeline get hacked and shut down. That is obviously a gasoline pipeline, not a natural gas pipeline. But the cyber threat was real. And we found out how a couple of malicious hackers, likely coming from Russia or at least Eastern Europe, according to Eamon Javers, was able to shut down the most critical gasoline pipeline in the United States. What is Williams Companies doing to make sure that the cyber threat, because Putin uses it as a weapon, Alan, you know that that the cyber threat is mitigated. Yeah. Well, this is an area I am really proud to say that we have been working with the federal government, with the National Security Council under Ann Neuberger, who really got us engaged uh, earlier last year in starting to to raise our cyber defenses. And we are, I'm not going to sit here and tell you there's not a major risk, because there certainly is a major risk, but I am very proud of the way industry and the government have been working together to make sure the intelligence that they have is fed into our defenses, and we're getting really good at that. I'm very proud of the way that's come together. Alan Armstrong, CEO of Williams Companies, really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much, Thank you. Thank you. All right, folks, we are just getting started on this CNBC special. Up next, Warren Buffett's big bet on oil. Berkshire Hathaway revealing a $5 billion stake in Occidental Petroleum. You're going to hear directly from the company's CEO, Vicki Holub, She will join us live in moments. Plus, the oil rally and your money. The last four times oil has spiked, we saw a recession. Will this historic spike in prices plunge the U.S. or the global economy into recession? We will tally the impact when the CNBC special, The Oil Shock, returns. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. 
NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. All right, welcome back to this CNBC special, The Oil Shock. We are drilling down on the fallout of the historic moves that we are seeing in global energy prices. Now, since the 1970s, the United States economy has endured four previous oil shocks, and each time they have been followed by a recession. So is that in the cards again this time? Let's bring in CNBC's senior economic reporter, Steve Leisman. Steve, we're looking back at 73, 79, 1990, and 2008. Obviously, 2008, we had subprime. We had so much more going on. Correlation, as you know, is not causation. The the good old days. Yeah, right. (laughs) Yeah. Is there any similarity between this time or difference, by the way, Steve, key difference between this time and those times? Yeah. So the first thing is I don't expect to be working at a gas station as I was in 79. I'm not sure where you were, Sully, but I was the most popular guy in town. Used to get free pizza for getting the uh, for filling up the tank of the guy. Uh, look, there's a couple differences here that are very worthwhile thinking about and that maybe reduce the possibility of history repeating itself with a recession. This will be the first oil price spike where U.S. oil uh, exports and imports are in balance. We produce 11.6, we import 8, we, throw, we uh, export 8, and so we're in balance here. Um, it used to be that we would fill up our tanks and we would send vast wads of money over to Saudi Arabia. It's a little different right now. That money's going to recruit to the guy you talked to at Williams and all the guys you're talking to around there. So I think they're walking around with a little bit bigger wads of cash in their pockets than they were before, with the question being, what do they do with that money? If they reinvest it, it grows U.S. GDP. Mm-hmm. Consumers, especially low and moderate income ones, they're going to be hit really hard. But it's a big difference right now. Plus, Americans use less gas per person than we used to. Ironically, Steve, in 79, I was working at a gas station. I was eight years old. My father owned one in, in La Habra, California. So you and I have that, that in common. And I was put to work at eight. Uh, but this time is very different because we've got interest rates that yeah. are still very low. There's, what, $2.3 trillion in household right. savings out there, according to Goldman Sachs. So the consumer right. facing all this inflation versus still loose monetary policy and household savings, how do you see it balancing out? Right. So that's the negative side. I get the first part of this was the positive side that we have the oil and, and, and we're using less of it. The other side is we go into this price spike with already high inflation and the Fed very low. Now, the Fed has room to, to, to hike rates. But the question now becomes how much more they may need to hike rates. And, and, and Sully, that question is going to be answered by how long do prices stay this high? And do we get to a place where it sounds a little crazy or oxymoronic, but the idea where inflation becomes disinflationary, where we have what's called demand destruction. People start dialing back on how much gasoline they use, not driving as far, and they take spending they was going to go 
someplace else, and now it's got to go into the tank, so that brings down inflation over there. You know, Any if we indication stay at 130 we are bucks a barrel, there yet? No, not, not yet, and I'll tell you what's weird. Again, it's a strange time. Talk to Michael Gapin from Barclays, and he said the way that oil prices hit the economy is through the durable goods section, except for this. We're 4 million cars down from where we normally should be. That's going to come up anyway, so that's going to be not a place we're going to get hit. I'm not seeing it yet, although I have to say our travel reporter, uh, Seema Modi, said they are seeing some cancellations, and we're also seeing, I think, uh, some oil, some airplane companies, some airlines are canceling some flights that aren't full enough and, and routes that aren't full enough to save money. Yeah, those jet fuel costs, the bunker fuel for the cruise ships. Yeah. They are yep. off the charts. Steve Leishman, really appreciate it. We'll compare notes on uh, the correct way to pump a gallon of gas. Steve, appreciate it, my friend. Have a good night. Thank you. Sure. Right. All right, coming up, legendary investors Carl Icahn and Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway making big moves in one major oil player in the past week. That is Occidental Petroleum. Warren Buffett taking a big stake in Oxy. And the CEO, Vicki Holla, will join us next with a reaction to that and how her company is navigating the oil markets right now. Don't go anywhere. CBC special, the oil shock is back right after this. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to Indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, welcome or welcome back to tonight's special oil shock. The president wants American oil producers to do their part to help hit or help hard hit consumers, saying that there are thousands of leases to drill for oil and gas that are signed, but that are not being taken advantage of by the industry. So how does the industry respond to that? Let's bring in Pioneer Natural Resources CEO Scott Sheffield, one of the most respected men in oil and gas in the United States, if not the world, and the only U.S. CEO that I've actually seen in person at an OPEC meeting. So, Scott, you are talking to the world, and we'll get to that in just a minute. Um, there does seem to be this disconnect between what we're hearing from D.C. and what we're hearing here about leases and permits and why the U.S. industry is not pumping more oil to try to bring down prices. What's the truth? What is the answer to that right now? Yeah, Brian, great to see you again. It's always good to see you. Uh, 99% of the wells are being drilled on private lands in this country. And that's where most of the oil and gas is coming from. There's very few on federal leases. Uh, I think the administration is talking about leases that are 
10 years. You, you can, when you get a federal lease, you have it for 10 years or longer. Some of those leases are way out west. Some are in the Gulf of Mexico. And so they're using that really as an excuse uh, to complain about our industry. Our industry comes from the independence. It comes from all the drilling on private lands, and that's where the activity is. And the private lands, you, d- you don't need all the leases. I mean, this is your land. You own it. You can do what you want. So this, this lease or permitting issue on federal lands, while relevant on the margin, is not going to solve the problem that we are looking to solve. Not at all. It's another excuse they're using in regard to condemning our industry and not involving our industry and supporting fossil fuels to be energy secure in this country. What can you do, not you, Scott Sheffield, maybe you, Scott Sheffield, but the industry do to try to get more on the same page with the Biden administration? The Biden administration clearly believes that we need to have, at least in the short term, more oil and gas. They've acknowledged that's a way to bring down prices, speaking reportedly with Venezuela, perhaps talking to Saudi Arabia. So they acknowledge there's a need for more oil. How do you two come together? Is there a common ground? Yes, over the last several weeks, I've been advocating a export ban on all Russian oil and gas. So I was the first CEO to come out and speak about it over the last couple of weeks. I'm glad to see the president do it today. Uh, other countries in the EU, all Western countries need to do it. We need to bankrupt the oil and gas industry in Russia. Secondly, uh, Pioneer is growing 5% a year long term. So we're going to get up to about a million barrels of oil equivalent over the next eight years. So the Permian is still growing. It's growing from five million barrels a day to about eight million barrels a day over the next eight to nine years. Now, the question is, is can we increase that growth? We have a contract with our shareholders to pay back 80 percent of our free cash flow back to the investor. So we have to get shareholder support. We want the Biden administration to come out and support our industry. And we want people to ban oil and gas around the world. So the idea, if I'm hearing you right, Scott, is the idea being that after years of of capital destruction, not as much by your company, but by many who filed for bankruptcy over the last number of years, shareholders are very nervous and they're very upset and they're very wary. What you're asking the Biden administration to do is kind of bless you and your industry to spend more money on production so that the share, you have some cover to say to the shareholders, listen, we are being asked to do this by the president. It's a patriotic thing. Shame on you if you then decide to sell our stock or withhold money. It's not as easy as that, Brian. Well, this TV, uh, nothing is. I know, I know. So, <laughs> it's not as easy as that, but we need support of our fossil fuel industry. We, banks aren't loaning. There's no private equity out there in our industry. And so it's got to start with the president to send a new message. So I like what he did today. He sent a message, we're banning Russian oil and gas imports. The EU needs to do it. The UK did it. Canada did it. We need Japan, South Korea to do it. And then you're, you're probably going to lose about three to four million barrels a day, potentially. That's there's, a lot. There's only two places you can get it from, uh, Saudi and the UAE. He needs, to go by, he needs to go to Saudi, take a trip immediately, and reestablish relationships with Saudi. Secondly, he needs to support our industry. Only the U.S. shell industry can help solve this long term and the Saudis and the UAE. But it's odd to hear an American oil and gas producer say we need to go to the Saudis. Is that simply because 
In the near term, there's nothing we can do. The CEO of ConocoPhillips told us earlier today that if he made the phone call and he called up his board and said, let's produce more oil starting tomorrow, and they started putting everything in motion, by the time that first drop of new oil comes out of the ground, it's going to be minimum of eight months, more likely a year. year. Is that the problem? It's it's not turning on a tap. No, exactly. Uh, We also have shortages of frac sand already. We have labor shortages. We have shortages of frac fleets, rigs that need to be put back together. So the labor force has gone through three downturns in the last 12 years. People do not want to go back to Midland. Uh, They've changed industries. So that's why it takes a good eight to 12 months just to get things back together. Well, the industry has been, for lack of a better term, insane the last number of years. Scott, as you know, I've been out yeah. to Midland. I've been to Bakken a number of times. Oil's at 100. Then it's at negative 37. Now it's at 125. Two years ago, the oil market, I agree, it's futures, not physical oil, but the futures market was negative $40. That was almost two years ago to the day. And here we are at 125. Why should anybody believe in the stability, from a labor perspective, the stability of that industry when it is just all over the place? That's exactly right. And you couple that with post-COVID. A lot of people aren't coming back to work. They've changed industries. Uh, they don't want to work long hours. And that you couple that, the older issue, with three downturns in 12 years, with post-COVID, and you just can't hire people. So that's a big issue also. What about steel, water? truck drivers. We heard the Occidental CEO, who we hope to hear from uh, in a bit, talk about just supply chain issues that other industries, food, whatever it is, are facing, hitting oil and gas too. We're not seeing it ourselves. We're the largest producer in the Permian. We have 50% of our contracts already locked in. So people want to work for Pioneer, but we're hearing it from other uh, activity increases. We're also hearing about the privates. They can't get the equipment or the labor force. So that's an issue. The price of oil is is not at a record high inflation adjusted. That was hit in 2008. You convert the dollars to 2022 dollars. It's probably $180. If we hit 180, that'll kind of be the the same inflationary impact as it was in 2008. Vladimir Putin was sort of threatening $300 oil today. Is there anything that can stop the rise in the price of oil in the near term absent a sudden and hopefully peaceful end to Putin's war. It'll take a few months, but Iran, if they come on with the sanctions lifted, it'll take a good six months to bring on 800,000 barrels a day, maybe do a million. Saudi has an extra million they can add. UAE could add 200 to 300,000 barrels a day. That helps somewhat. Now, we don't know how much China's going to take of Russian crude. That's the big unknown. They don't care about the sanctions. So, they need the oil. They need the oil. So they have one and a half billion people that require a lot of power. That's right. So if they take two million barrels a day, uh, they could take three, but then they get to back out Saudi crude and other crude from them, their imports. Yeah. That's a very unknown question, how much China will take. This morning, seems like 24 hours ago, but it was this morning on CNBC, John has told us he thinks the U.S. and the IEA, International Energy Agency, should do a coordinated release of 120 million barrels of the SPR this month and 120 million the next month. They did 60, said not enough, 240 over two months. Do you agree with that? I never believe in SPR releases. It's a Band-Aid approach. Uh, things get worse. What happens if we release too much? All of a sudden, things are worse 12 months from now. 
I would save it for worse, worse conditions. Scott Sheffield, CEO of Pioneer Natural Resources. Uh, PXD, Scott, really appreciate your insight and your views. Thank you very much. Thanks, Brian. Always good to be with you. All right, folks, so we are just past the bottom of the hour. Let's bring you up to speed on what has all happened in the energy market today. If you missed any of it, here you go. Oil prices, well, they rose again today. WTI crude, what we trade here, is up about 1% right now. It is trading above $124 a barrel. That is near a 14-year high. A reminder, what we just talked about, the inflation-adjusted high was hit back in 2008. be about 180 in today's dollars to sort of match what it meant and what it was inflationary-wise back in 2008. The stock futures market, it is now open. Keep in mind, it is very thinly traded, of course, at this hour. But if you want to look, here is a look, and we are seeing kind of a mixed market. NASDAQ futures down, Dow futures are up a touch. Markets all fell across the board today, although all in. With the Dow down 182, it was not the worst of the days that we have seen. So maybe take some comfort in that. All right. We've got a lot more coming your way on the CNBC special. Up next, we are going beyond big oil. The commodity crunch playing out across the globe. Wheat, corn, metals, almost all metals at record highs. Why all of this matters to your money. We are back right after this. All right, welcome back, folks. Just a very quick programming note. We had hoped to have Occidental CEO Vicki Holub on for you. We had it scheduled. There's a lot of stuff going on, as you imagine, in the energy markets here and at meetings and everything that's happening. So we're going to have to bring Vicki Holub to you another night, another time. But you have my word. We will make that happen. Well, tensions between Russia and Ukraine put in the energy market in a tailspin. But the impact is also ricocheting across many other important commodities, things you use or consume maybe every day agriculture, it is being hit. The cost of fertilizer rising, tripling in a year. That's raising all kinds of consumer products prices like wheat, of course, Russia and Ukraine, major exporters of that as well. Futures reaching new multi-year highs last week as wars between Russia and Ukraine, raising concerns about the global supply of wheat. It has pulled back a little bit, snapping a six-session win streak. Corn, also a major agricultural product of both Russia and Ukraine. It is higher today, still though pulling back from its highest level since 2012, but much higher than it was a year ago. The metals market has gone completely out of sorts. Metals prices soaring. Palladium hovering below a peak. Volatile trading on Tuesday. The Russia-Ukraine crisis fueling worries about a supply squeeze of the metal, which is used primarily in catalytic converters in cars. Gold jumping, rallying almost to all-time highs. And at one point, the London Metal Exchange suspended the trading of nickel after prices more than doubled in a day. Why do you care about nickel? Nickel is a key ingredient in both steel production and in electric car batteries. There's lithium, there's ion, and there is nickel in a lot of EV batteries. So watch perhaps some of these supply chain and pricing increases for electric car makers to continue to go up. Russia, of course, as you heard Halima Croft say earlier, is a key producer and a key exporter of many metals and grains, and the third largest producer of nickel in the world. All types of commodities with Russian links are surging year-to-date as that invasion of Ukraine and an array of Western sanctions raising disruption fears. Investors are also wondering if and how soaring commodity 
Higher food prices and consumer trends are going to impact the Fed's tightening path for the year. The bottom line, folks, is this. The inflation story, while already running red hot, may not even have begun. Coming up, speaking of pain at the pump, gas prices hitting historic highs nationwide. Just how much will it cost you to fill up before anything can be done to bring prices down? Do not go anywhere. The CBC special, Oil Shock, back after this. Welcome back to the CBC special, the oil shock. Crude oil now above $125 a barrel higher in Europe. Oil nearly doubling in just one year. Joining us out of break down the wild move is Stephen Shork. He is the founder and editor of the Shork Report. He joins us down the CBC Newsline. Stephen, uh, this has been a shock to everybody, not just what is happening, obviously, with Putin's war in Ukraine, but to the American consumer as well. You look out into your crystal ball. How high do you see the potential for oil to go? Uh, unfortunately, a lot higher. We're just probably one headline from another surge in prices. Coming into this week, we were assigning, uh, based on our quantitative modeling, a 16% probability that by June, oil prices will hit $150 a barrel. So what does that mean to the consumer? Well, when we translate 150 to the historical relationship to gasoline, uh, we're now looking at uh, $4.30, excuse me, $4.30. And we have to keep in mind what we're doing, we're consuming winter grade gasoline. Beginning next month, oil refineries will have to supply summer grade gasoline. That's a blend of gasoline that is ex- very expensive to produce. And the historical winter to summer uptick is about 30 cents. So we're looking at by June, best case scenario, um, excuse me, $4.50. However, when we look yeah. at the probability of $150 oil, that brings us to $5.05 upwards of $5.20 on a national average. That's important because adjusted for inflation, that's the real all-time high. That will smash, that will break the record that we saw in uh, uh, J- July of 2008. Yeah. So the bottom line here is we're at an inflection point. We, we are at a point where the consumer is going to ex- suffer hard this summer. Okay, we're going to get more on gasoline with uh, Patrick Dion of Gas Buddy in just one moment. So I want to focus back to oil. Uh, try to end on a positive note, Stephen, which is this. <laughs> if we get an end, let's pray tomorrow, okay, to Putin's war, which he probably knows, the world knows, is unwinnable ultimately. Let's say we get a war, some sort of pullback this week. What happens to the price of oil? Does it collapse $20 a barrel overnight? Does it go back below uh- 100 uh, right now, probably we are we are well overdone. But keep in mind, we are in a super bull market before anyone was even talking about the Ukraine story. We're looking at supply scarcity around the globe. Uh, we're looking at demand, and now that COVID mitigation protocols have essentially been been lifted uh, entirely in the United States, you're going to see a surge in demand uh, for gasoline and for energy. And there's just simply yeah. not enough supply. So yes, we will get a a back from this sugar high, but we are certainly not uh, going back to anywhere where we were uh, this time last mm. year. Could be a tough summer for the American consumer, particularly the American driving consumer. Stephen Shork of the Shork Absolutely. Report. Stephen, thank you very much. Thank you. All right, on deck, more on what we just talked about. Gasoline prices surging across America, over six bucks a gallon in parts of California. 
So if Putin's unwinnable war continues, could we hit $10 a gallon in parts of the country? We'll hit that next. Basically, the oil market now is in the intensive care unit. We take a million or two million a day off the market. It's going to send the prices even higher. That, that's coming. We are in a very precarious situation today as we look around the world. People that wanted to ramp up really quickly and increase production, it's not going to be that easy. We shouldn't be getting our oil and gas from dictators like Putin, from the uh, Ayatollahs in Iran. We should be producing it here in America. We don't want to see people hurting at the pump for a long period of time, which is why we're looking at increasing production. And that's really the most important thing to do. If oil and gas prices are going up, the products that you use on a daily basis, those costs are going to be going up as well. And those are just a few of the big names that we have heard from over the past two days here at the Zero Week Conference with more than a dozen big interviews right here in Houston. Interviews, by the way, you can all catch on CNBC.com. And interviews right now, you cannot afford to miss. All right, let's now bring it on home and break down what all this means to your bottom line. A gallon of gasoline a year ago, about $2.77 nationwide. Higher, of course, in certain places. But today, that number hit $4.17, a new record. So is this the new normal of pain at the pump, at least heading into summer? Let's welcome in Patrick DeHaan, head of petroleum analysis at Gas Buddy. And we say 417, uh, Patrick. And the reality is in California, they're laughing at us for saying that because they're in the fives. Some places are in the sixes as well. And yet oil continues to rise. Explain to our audience how long the lag is or should be between the price rise of oil and the subsequent price rise of gasoline. Well, it, it's certainly very quick. Um, you know, already the, the price of, of oil went up today. The price of Arbob or gasoline went up as well. And the racks where those huge tanker trucks fill up are adjusting right now. And so very quickly, the increases in oil start penetrating the retail market. You mentioned 417 a gallon. Our live gas buddy data now, another seven cent increase so far today. 424 for gasoline that's 60 cents higher than just a week ago and diesel don't get me started there it's set to skyrocket here over five dollars a gallon in the next one to two weeks wow hey i want to read something the president he arrived actually here in texas uh, about an hour ago and a reporter asked him and i'm going to read you and i apologize for reading from my phone patrick mr president (laughs) you have a message for the american people on gas prices president biden answered they're going to go up. Clearly, you would agree with the president. Oh, I, that's one thing he's not wrong on. They are going up and they will continue to go up and there's no respite in sight. And I think for the American people, you know, not only are we paying all time record highs, it's never been higher. And in the last seven days, we've also never seen prices launch up so significantly in a one week period of time. The last record was a 49 cent weekly increase for Hurricane Katrina. We're at 60 cents versus a week ago. 60 cents. This is incredible. I want to clear something up with our audience, too, because we're seeing that gas station owners are raising prices in some places. People posting Twitter and you know, social media, et cetera, of prices going up 50 cents overnight. 
in some markets. Is that justified? Because those gas station owners, Patrick, they buy the gas weeks or months earlier and fill their tanks. Do you believe that we will see, unfortunately, some gouging going on across America? You know, I I listened to the president's announcement today, and I was very disheartened to hear that he wanted to to rein in the mom and pops who are losing their shirts. I did this calculation a week ago. The wholesale price of gasoline had risen 63 cents a gallon. The national average, on the other hand, had only gone up 23 cents. The American people don't get to see the numbers I do, but I can tell you, station owners are losing their shirts. And by the way, that's why prices also go down slower because stations are well behind the curve on these increases. Very quickly, possible we hit eight bucks a gallon in parts of California. Where's demand destruction kick in, Patrick? Boy, yeah. I mean, eight bucks. You'll see that station in Essex or Needles, California hit eight bucks. I'm hopeful that that won't get anywhere beyond that. Where does the demand destruction occur? I think we're going to hit it about five, five fifty. I know Americans have an appetite to get out there. The the pandemic's improving. I'm going to stick to somewhere in the mid fives. Patrick DeHaan, gas buddy. Patrick, uh, appreciate it. We think, Patrick, (laughs) thank you very much. So, folks, (laughs) that wraps up our special coverage hour. Just to put a bow on all that we have learned here in Houston the last couple of days is that the inflation story, it is real. Gasoline prices, they're going up. Oil prices, they continue to rise. It is going to be tough out there for the American consumer, but Putin and his unwinnable and unforgivable war. The news with Shepard Smith picking up all your coverage right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.